Hey everybody, talkingbook.pub is a non-profit audiobook publisher of independent literature. We are located in Asheville, North Carolina, and because we are a non-profit, uh, donations and help from people like you who love these books and love these recordings really helps a lot. So if you want to get involved, donate to our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash talkingbook, or go to our website, talkingbook.pub, and read about our mission, send us an email, give us a call, whatever you want to do. But enjoy the episode. Thank you. Hello, my buddies. My name is Chris Hartram with the Talking Book Podcast, and that's what you're listening to, Talking Book. Okay? That's what it is. We're back with part two of the reading. You heard last week's with Nicole Brown, and she also came over with her wife, Jessica Jacobs. Jessica has a new book out, too. Before we go into that, um, my best buddy, my number one amigo, Dave Bird, did a great job with introducing part one. He did a great job. Dave never does that. Go back and listen to it if you didn't. He's great. Dave Burr. I didn't fire him. He made a joke I was going to fire him, but I actually promoted him. Uh, so now he is uh, he's the janitor of Talking Book. Good for Dave. He now makes... Uh, I pay him in rolling rocks. He makes three rolling rocks. Those are the ones in the green bottle. So if you love Dave, send Dave rolling rocks or rolling rock. It's probably not plural, rolling rock beer. Anyway, uh, here we go. Part two, Talking Bookhouse, Nicole Brown and Jessica Jacobs. This is the Jessica Jacobs episode. Jessica, she has a new book out. Just came out a couple days ago. Great timing. Take me with you wherever you're going. It's published by Four Way Books. Um, her first book, Pelvis with Distance, won the New Mexico Book Award in Poetry and was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Award. Jessica is an amazing person, and I love talking to her about cereal. It's a random idea, random thought, but I do. Uh, she came over to the studio with her wife, Nicole Brown. She read from her book, Take Me With You Where You're Going. Here's the reading. All right, well, I'm going to start with a poem about Florida. Um, So most of these poems are primarily about the first few years that Nicole and I were married, and I was just really trying to write my way into understanding what it meant to be married, um, what it meant to share your life with someone, um, and both who I was and who I wanted to be. But the whole time I was writing those poems, I kept having all of these really intense memories of growing up in Florida. Um, And, you know, I realized kind of late in the game that what my subconscious was trying to do was figure out who I had been and how that had shaped me um, into the person that I was now. And uh, in this this first poem, uh, very unfortunately, uh, I was in the, the mid-90s, uh, I was probably around 12 years old, and just to give you a little sense of, of me, um, my favorite shirt of all time was from the county fair, and it had a, an airbrushed unicorn on it with uh, tasseled sleeves with little beads on it, and I thought it was super hot, and I would pair it with some um, acid wash Daisy Dukes. So yeah, I was looking good, and and then my body started producing hormones, and it was it was awesome. So, uh, sex suddenly everywhere. 
In shop class, that redhead with the jumpsuit zippered from throat to crotch, trilling, boys, don't touch my zipper, until they trailed her like goslings, transfixed by the shiny metal pull. The couple caught naked in the science building bathroom, backhand whispers of, but I wouldn't even take my shoes off in there. And how many eighth-grade dance parties in a country club boathouse? Some girl in the corner crying about some boy, some boy nervously plucking the whales of his corduroys, waves lapping, unheard but always lapping, as I got freaked by the pagan twins to a boys-to-men slow jam. Confused girl meshed between two confused brothers, I tried not to stare at the girls I wished against me instead. And every day, those hallways, crowded cattle chutes, musked up clusters of young bodies, slap of sandals, snap of bra straps, high, sweet stench of Malbot perfume. My nose to the back of another girl's neck close enough to see a single strand escaped, curling beneath her collar, the gym class dampness between her shoulder blades. Sometimes it was all I could do to keep my clothes on, to keep from moaning aloud. Once a bucket, an occasional embarrassing slosh over the top if jostled, now a sieve, Desire leaking from every pore. Which is why I tried so hard to be harder, to use the world as my whetstone, sharpening myself against each day. My body cried out for armor, big-boned, broad-shouldered, I was built for it. Forced into a dress with shoulder pads, I was the 90s littlest linebacker. So I began to run, clanking like a tank around cul-de-sacs, began to climb, building biceps strong enough to stiff-arm the world away. Even my heart grew heavy, grew into one more thing to carry. Okay, so... I, I made it out of Florida, um, and I, I made it eventually to New York, where I met Nicole, and um, it was it was kind of miraculous because I, I fell in love with her, and she was kind enough to love me back. Um, so when I was writing these poems, I thought I should definitely try to write an ode to write a poem of joy. And um, well, you you couldn't see Nicole while she was reading her poems, but she has this phenomenal head of curly blonde hair, similar to Dave, the sound technician. Um, so I, I thought I, you know, what else would I write an ode to, but an ode to curly hair. So uh, this opens with an epigraph uh, by Pablo Neruda. Other lovers want to live with particular eyes. I only want to be your stylist. Curly, my tangler. Who needs Rumpelstiltskin when such treasure abounds? Her gold woven around my bike gears, tangled in my toothbrush, vining every drain. Even sometimes found in my mouth upon waking. And just this morning, from the bathroom, she called me in. My mama's the only one who ever brushed out my hair, she said. 
but you're my wife. You should know. I began at the bottom, her curls separating with the thick sound of good cloth tearing. Do you see why I had no friends when I was little, she asked. Mama brushed out my hair each day before school. I eased my fingers for the first time all the way through, asked how that felt for her. Vulnerable, she said. Shimmering out beneath the overhead light, a climbing of kudzu, a symphony of trumpet vines, her hair revealed itself. It was like Velcro, she said. Anything would stick in it. Bubblegum, spitwads, pencils. I'd come home crying, and Mama would hold my ugly, frizzy head and say, Baby, they're just jealous. As though her love could make the lie so. When it comes to her, her mother and I have this kind of love in common. Only now the lie has come to pass. My wife, whose hair is the shade of farm-fresh yokes, the color of things rich on the tongue, whose hair sings the plaintive song of bed springs, whose hair is the drifting smoke from a village of chimneys, corkscrews enough for a thousand bottles of wine, a ski slope of S-curves, a grove of twirling maple keys, every playground slide worth sliding. Before a rapt audience, a company of ballerinas cambers their hands to trace out in the air your hair, my dear Angora goat, my cloud of bats spiraling from the cave. Um, but sadly, because it's marriage, uh, it can't all be odes. So <laughs> it felt like that was that was really important to to record that too and to be as honest as possible um, about the difficulties along with the joy. In the first fall of our marriage. Though I want to give you only kindness, there's often an age between what I want and who I am. Yet how many times can you cry on my chest before something good grows there? Redwoods thrive in acid soil, Summon that weight, those stiff-fingered roots to skewer my ribs and prime the rusted pump in my chest. Into that age, let me grow. A ring for each year, marking boom and drought and flood. Let me anchor further into your roots. Make me part of something greater. Let me grow strong enough that even when fallen, I can be of use to you. Rough lumber for rafters and joists, a roof for the drum of this evening's insistent rain, a cross-section from my trunk set to spin on the phonograph, a record of what has passed, playing the music of what is to come, a song for each year, I'll learn to love you better. In the Grove of Self-Charging Trees. And this is an epigraph from Stanley Kunitz. Darling, do you remember the one you married? Touch me. Remind me who I am. In the Grove of Self-Charging Trees. 
It is early enough that fog still skeins the highest branches, entwining each tree, a cable rough craped as wild grapevine, with both ends socketed into the trunk. Murmur and fizz of power pulled from the sky, from the earth, power recirculated by the cables, nothing wasted. In a clearing no bigger than our cabin's double bed, you spread a blue blanket. We make a picnic of a peach and a plum. Then, with no top sheet, no clothes, not even a bracelet, how long has it been, love, since we touched? Even our kisses are given on the way to something else. Yet here our bodies do not just tighten, but seal fast around the other, and we kiss the kind of kiss that's like entering a glass cathedral, a structure that exists to emphasize the space it contains while leaving visible all it does not. We move into that kiss as we move into each other, with gentle force, a matched insistence, and all the trees begin to hum. Self-charging circuits all of us, drawing from the world a stream of heat and light, which we pass between us like a fire that burns but does not consume. I wake to your back, your body an early morning house in which all the inhabitants are still asleep, the lights extinguished, the doors locked and bolted. Yet, beside our bed, the marigolds you brought me burn like paper caught in the act of ignition, orange and red petals of flame. And on each of our ring fingers, the same silver band. My promise to you, my charge, that through the forest and fog, through the busy thicket, I will never stop finding my way to your door. All I need from you is to answer. All you have to do is let me in. And I'm going to end with uh, another poem that somehow has a cabin in it. It's a different cabin. Um, a lot of these poems were written while we were touring um, for my first book, Pelvis with Distance, and Nicole's second book, Fanny Says, and we spent about six months on the road uh, like total dirtbags in my Honda Element um, with a fold-up futon in the back and uh, had many adventures and maybe not as many showers as we needed. Um, but uh, we did get to give a reading in Wyoming and in between, uh, we found this incredible cabin on a working cattle ranch. And there was no internet and no cell reception, which was amazing. And every day we would wake up and there would be a different kind of animal grazing uh, outside our window. In Wyoming. All the flies in the valley were buzzing at the windows. Wingflits fizzing the afternoon bright as sparkling water. As they were our only neighbors, we climbed the loft's ladder clothed and descended it naked, proud not to have clocked our heads against the roof's crossbeam, woozy nonetheless with that suspended, elevated hour, an hour when we almost just nearly slipped our skins 
lost track of our insistent edges, that good kind of losing. If our cabin were the barn next door, this loft would be where the hay was stored, bale after bale of sun-drenched stalks, the herds feasting all winter on summer. I've returned now alone, to read but mostly to listen, hovering in the god seat. There's the loose flutter of a mare's sigh, half asleep in the yard. Above the teeth on tin screech of a hawk, below the tink of her spoon on a dish as she scoops up peas cooked slow with butter and salt, as she was taught as a child, a helping of home in these faraway mountains. Up here, unseen, the heat drifts up from the stove's glow, the peas haze, my love's contented breath, the memory of her face beneath mine, simmering until I am blanched as a boiled tomato, and a single touch is all it would take to part my skin in a neat seam, a touch to peel back this poured, porous facade so I can drift down and settle inside her like steam, like whatever comfort and ripeness her body might need. Okay, there you go. That was it. Jessica Jacobs, the new book, Take Me With You Wherever You're Going, out now from Four Way Books. I'm going to put the link to it in the episode notes. Get the book. Don't forget that Talking Book is an audiobook publisher of independent literature. We live in Asheville, North Carolina, in the mountains. You can come visit us. We're a nonprofit. We don't make profit. We're a nonprofit. Um, we're about to release Caca Dolce by Chelsea Martin. We just put out Under the Sea by Mark Leidner with Tyrant Books. We're currently making books with New Directions, Coffeehouse Press, Pegasus Books, Soft Skull, other people that are very cool and nice like that. Anyway, hit us up if you want to make something, if you want to eat something, if you want to come over to the Talking Book House and read from your new book, if you want to, want to sit with Dave and I and Danny, eat some cereal, drink some Rolling Rock, um, whatever you want to do. But anyway, I appreciate you as people. I love you very much. My name is Chris Fartram, and uh, have a wonderful day. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit before I Passing over, and the window.